Turn with me in your Bible to, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to talk tonight about parenting. I've dealt with a couple situations here lately. And then, of course, we have such a young church, five more pregnancies right now. And even the fact that Sunday we had 17, 17 children out sick. That's a lot of kids out and still running a pretty full ship back there. So since we're a young family, a young church family, and we have a lot of kids, we'll always be constantly teaching on marriage, courtship, singlehood, parenting, finances, because this is what it takes. And uh, anytime I start to detect problems of more than just two people, two people, okay, so two families under attack, sure, three, four, five, six, I got to deal with something. You know, if that's just due diligence, that's scientific thinking. If, if all my trees are dying, something's going on in the backyard. If one tree dies, all right, that's on the tree. But if all my trees are dying, something's going on, and I need to stop and investigate. So that's why I'm going to teach on parenting. And then also, as I deal with adults from time to time, a lot of adult issues we're dealing with come back to parenting. And seeing as how um, our nation doesn't know what marriage is anymore, and they don't know what parenting is anymore, we have to always start with the, the head of the home, which God said is the father. And so um, all I can help, hope to do is start moving things forward better now. If you were raised with daddy issues, and we probably all have some kind of daddy issue somewhere or another, you have to give up all hope for a better past. It's one thing to notice I got daddy issues. If you had a daddy growing up, you got daddy issues. <laughs> maybe they're good issues, maybe they're bad issues. But if you had a daddy growing up, you got daddy issues. If you got a mama growing up, you had mama issues. You were raised by wolves, you got wolf issues. <laughs> it's one thing to recognize it as an adult, deal with it, move on, fill in the voids, forgive. Maybe they'll repent to you one day. Maybe they never do. Maybe they're already dead. Sometimes you just have to hear this kind of teaching to troubleshoot maybe why you're weird yourself and what you can do to fix it. But I also have to look at the new generation of dads because we have a lot of first-time dads up to bat, and now we have guys who are about to have their second child. So we're a young church, and we have to constantly improve parenting. I don't know how I would teach on parenting differently if I was in Africa. I've never really taught on parenting in Africa. I teach on marriage a lot in Africa. It carries the same Maybe there's a little bit different parenting cultures to deal with in Africa, but we're not there. We're here. So I know my people. So I'm going to call this lesson tonight, Being a Better Dad, because we could all afford to be a better dad. Now that eliminates automatically half of you because you're women. And then of the men, it eliminates maybe another half of you because you don't have kids yet or they're grown. But this teaching will affect all of us. So just listen and maybe you can understand how you could maybe fill in some holes from your childhood or maybe your dysfunctional upbringing. Everybody's parenting had a little bit of hole somewhere. And we're just trusting God to put it back together for us now. Um, I said Ephesians 6. Hold your finger there. Hold your place there. Go to Titus 2. And let me just kind of briefly give you a verse that we want to aim to do tonight. I want to make this lesson such that it can be listened to over and over again for many years to come. Titus 2, chapter 2, verse 4. 
It says of the elder women that they are to teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Now, context is senior women who are mature ought to be looking to disciple the younger women who are immature. And it's interesting, Paul does not doubt a woman's love for her husband or her children, but he does question their ability to demonstrate that love. And so anything I say tonight, I'm not questioning anybody's love for their kids. I'm questioning our ability to demonstrate it. And when you truly love someone, you will change so that they can feel your love. And I don't, I'm not getting to, I'm not going to split emotional hairs. Love is something you do feel on the human level. And love is something you need to communicate on the human level. If in your home people don't feel loved, you need to address that rapidly and figure out why you're sending out what you think are love signals, but they're not picking it up. Love is communicated just like words are. It's just a, a for, another form of communication. And either you're not sending out a strong enough signal, they're not receiving it, or you're on the wrong wavelength. I do recommend the concept of the five love languages. It just works. It's basic. It's, it's pretty proven. Everybody both gives love and receives love differently. It seems to me in all the marriages I've helped over the years that the husband loves one way, receives love another, and the wife is the total opposite. And this is why God gets us together, because we have to learn to love on all the wavelengths, like God does. I can tell Pastor Caleb, when he loves, he likes to buy stuff for people. I'm the same way, too. Consequently, I think we love each other because we buy each other a lot of stuff. <laughs> I communicate that way with my wife. That is not her love language. She's like, this is great. I buy her nice, expensive stuff because I like nice, expensive stuff. She could care nothing about it. She's like, just sit with me on the couch and rub my shoulders or just spend time with me. And I'm like, hey, yeah, that's cheaper. I don't want to, I don't want to talk that way. I want to buy you something. <laughs> so I have to adapt how I communicate my love so that she feels it. Amen. So being a better dad, I want to apply this so tonight what I'm going to do is I'm going to teach husbands how to love their children, what that looks like in the eyes of God. I don't doubt anybody's love for their kids. It just doesn't always manifest properly. And wherever we stand tonight, we can't stay the same. We can't say, well, pappy was this way and, and, and great-grandpappy was this way and my daddy was this way and this is just the way we is. No hogwash, flush that. We have to be better. We have to come up because the generation has to get better and we don't want them to inherit any of our daddy issues. If I've got daddy issues, I don't want my son to have them. If, if my wife has daddy issues, she doesn't want her daughters to have them. So we have to make sure we change so that our kids get a better inheritance than what we got. That's how this is supposed to work. So going back now to Ephesians 6, stay there. Uh, I'm going to read a few things. Marriage takes a lot of selfless work to enjoy and not everyone is mature enough to marry. So a lot of this comes back to we're doing a lot of cleanup because we have recklessly fallen in love, recklessly married. I'm talking in our culture in general, not in our church tonight, but in general, in the American culture. We went through a reckless stage, 70s, 80s, 90s, just I can love who I want to, marry who I want to, and then you realize six months into it, this was a mistake, but now I got a kid on the way. 
Marriage takes a lot of selfless work to enjoy, and not everyone is mature enough to marry. And I fully believe that. I don't believe just because you're of age, you need to get married. I think marriage ought to be a lot of testing, improving. I, don't, I, don't, I think it's totally disrespectful when a child, an adult child, tells their parents, well, I love him and I'm going to marry him even if you don't care, even if you don't like it. We've already taught our children, you go that route, we disown you. They know it. They understand. We have taught them submission to our authority and to trust us. Now, we don't scream it at them like a bunch of banshees. We communicate it to them just like, if you go outside in the rain, I'm going to spank your bottom. If you marry someone we don't approve of, we're going to disown you. Would you really? Absolutely. Because I'm not going to disown because I don't like the guy because he's a guy and this is my first girl. If I'm going to dislike the guy, it's because I've prayed about it, proven him, prayed about it, and it's not the Holy Ghost. That's why I'm going to disapprove of him. Anyway, that aside, not everyone should be married. It's hard to think that folks used to get married in their teens 100 years ago and have three kids by 20. I mean, nowadays, kids can't even spell kids at 20. (laughs) Parenting takes a lot of selfless work to succeed as well, and not everyone is mature enough to reproduce. I don't think just because you can have sex means you should be a parent. I do not believe in abortion. I do believe in adoption. But I don't believe everybody who's married is mature enough to start having kids. Especially if you're still fighting like cats and dogs. You still have your, your roles upside down. You don't know who's supposed to run this show yet. You're going to bring a kid into all that? This also goes back to marriage. You don't ever marry a lazy man. And a woman never marries a man weaker than her. Because this thing will spiral out of orbit from the day you say, I do. Not everyone is mature enough to reproduce. Making the child is the easiest part of the next 13 years of your life. And we say 13 now. This is my personal doctrine. It's based on neuroscience and Jewish teaching that by 13, the child's personality is set. I've taught that for several years now. According to Jewish law and tradition, at 13, they are now responsible for the Torah themselves. It's at 13, they would then be put to death if they broke any of the capital crimes. So we, we as Americans, we went 18, but that was based on the draft, age of majority, which came from British common law, which became of when, when you were old enough to carry the weight of armor for the Knights of the Round Table. That's a horrible metric for maturity. <laughs> so according to the law of God and Jewish tradition and neuroscience, 13, their personality is set. And so what I teach is, Up until then, you have formative discipleship. All is not lost, but you are way behind the curve if you have failed the first 13 years, because after that, we have reparative discipleship. And at that point, it's like trying to save money in your 60s for retirement. You're never going to equal what you could have done if you were saving at 20. Now, God can do miraculous things and God can do wonderful things, but there's going to be a lot of pain, a lot of bumpy roads, a lot of broken lives in that reparation, a reparative work. So that's why we keep emphasizing, especially to all the new generation of parents, don't think you have till they're 18. The bar mitzvah happened at 13. The bat mitzvah for the girl happened at 12. And at that ceremony. They became a daughter or a son of the law. They were now an an adult accountable to God. Amen. 
Good parenting requires, I'm going to say three things. So if you want to make a little list here with me. Good parenting, number one, requires, requires diligence. If you can't be diligent, if you don't want to be diligent, if you don't want to be inconvenienced, you don't need to have any kids. And when you're single, not even engaged, when you're single and courting, you should be discussing how many kids you want to have. And I think if you're single and kind of courting, you ought to be asking that guy, you up for staying up to 3 a.m. with me? You up for holding the hair out of my face while I throw up with morning sickness? Should I have it? Are you up for laying aside your hobbies? Amen. Because no girl wants to marry a gamer. I've never met a woman of God who said, I just can't wait to snag me a gamer. Man, I hope, I hope he can twitch, twitch, twitch. <laughs> I hope, man, I hope he's just got amazing reflexes. I hope he can master an RPG like it's nothing. I mean, I hope he decorates his apartment with that junk. That's my man. No girl thinks that way. She, like, gets in line on the playground to beat those kids up. <laughs> Moms have been equipped and baptized into diligence from their first trimester. Then delivery. Then the first thing they do, they get that baby on your stomach, like, oh, we got to get you to nurse now, Mama. So now Mama, she got to be diligent. Got timers. Every hour, every two hours, every four hours. Then weaning and diaper changing all along. It's like the second mama knows she's pregnant, diligence comes on her. Meanwhile, Dr. Doofence is over here gaming. <laughs> or whatever he does. Memeing. Scrolling. This is just as useless as a gamer. This is a useless man, just scrolling, just wasting his life and his family's life and his newborn baby's life six inches at a time. That's a useless individual. I'm not against the tool, but when this is your hobby, what is the measure of a man? I don't know. How fast does he scroll? If dads aren't cautious to quickly join in the diligence of children and child rearing from the very first, they will become an absentee dad very quickly. Some dads are good at this, some dads aren't. Some dads let mama do everything, change the diapers, feed the babies, bathe the babies. Some dads are just busy off doing their thing because their contribution was done. And so we, we, we have a bad precedent already started. It really is an unfair shake that women get, but this is the way God designed it. But it's also a mandate for men to come up and contribute a lot more to the family than just sperm. I mean, if that's your only contribution... I don't really know what good you are. Diligence requires energy. So you also, this is going to sound a little painful, you don't want to marry someone who's low energy. 
You don't want to marry someone. Think about, I just, I, I don't want to be considered an ableist or painful or injurious or disrespectful, but if you marry someone who is sickly and you want to have children, you have to think in advance what's this going to look like. Are you saying sickly people shouldn't get married? I'm not saying that. Are you saying sickly people shouldn't have children? I'm not saying that, but you've got to weigh all these variables. These are things you have to consider, and you don't take them lightly. Diligence requires energy. Youthful, healthy, excited energy. So you don't marry low-energy people, and you definitely don't have kids with them unless you want to be a single parent. And single parenting is hard enough, and there is a grace on those who are genuinely single parents. There is a broken grace on those who are married. Both parents are in the home, and they're still a single parent. Think about how messed up that situation is. It's one thing if your husband died or your wife died or they left you or divorced you and you're left raising the son or the daughter by yourself. There's a grace for that because you're all alone. But you're still married and they're still somewhere, but the contribution is nil. So number one, being a better parent or a better dad takes diligence. Number two, it takes selflessness. The whole reason you bring a child into the world is hopefully not because your wife wants one and you just want to give her a baby so she'll quit nagging you, but because you want to invest in a human being and train them in the gospel faster than you were ever trained and give them the knowledge you were given faster than you were given and to reproduce yourself and your character and your knowledge and your strengths and your zeal and your love for God so they might go further than you. If you're not willing to do that, then you don't need to reproduce. Because your kids, our kids do take on our nature, good, bad, ugly, whether we want them to or don't want them to. Our parenting or lack of parenting is molding our kids. And please hear me, as hard as this may hear, be, be to hear, your kids are a reflection of the job you did. Your kids, even the prodigals, are a reflection of something you failed to do or did wrong. It's biblical law. It's spiritual law. You can't say, well, that's not my fault. I raised them in the house of God. You may have raised them in the house of God, but you didn't raise them in your house. Because you're supposed to raise them and rear them in your home with Bible study and prayer and love, and peace, and discipleship, and fun. If all you did was raise them in the house of God, you never raised them in your home, that's your fault. So we don't just raise them here, dragging them to the house of God. We also bring God home with us, and our home becomes an extension of the local church. We have an altar of God at home where we worship together. We have pajama parties, and we have popcorn, and we do stuff we can't do in the local church because this is sacred, but that's family time. But it's also God time, too. Well, I raised them in the house of God. Then you failed. Because you taught them how you really were. You taught them facades. You taught them we put on a show when we come to church and we scream like a banshee or growl like a bear at home. And kids begin to pick up on this stuff very, very quick. 
I might add, my observation over the last few years has been that our kids start picking up about eight or nine, whenever they're old enough to stay in service, they start picking up when you don't do what I teach. And they'll ask you, and you got to be real careful how you answer that because you could teach them to be a rebel. Because my own Lydia has asked me why some of you don't do what I teach when she was about eight or nine. Daddy, how come so-and-so doesn't do this? I said, well, what makes you think they should be doing that? Well, because that's what you teach our church, Daddy. All right, you do pay attention. You hear more than I think you do. So what makes you think they don't do it? Well, I overheard them in the hallway. Oh, I said, well, I don't know what to tell you. And Lydia asked me this, don't they love Jesus? I said, well, yes, they do love Jesus. Then why don't they do what their pastor teaches? So that's where I have to kind of help my daughter without dishonoring adults. Well, sweetie, if they don't want to come to church three services a week, that's between them and God. Well, if they love God, wouldn't they come? How come they let their children dress ways you don't let us? Well, sweetie, daddy has to have a higher standard than everybody because most folks won't aspire to nothing without at least half of one. So I'm not saying you have to agree with everything I teach. I'm not saying you have to do everything I teach. But if I can back it up with three or four verses, you better have an ironclad reason why your family's exempt from the word of God. Real quiet on that. So number two, selflessness. Good, godly parenting requires selflessness. Once you become a parent, you now exist to rear, protect, and train your child. They are long-term investments that will only pay back what you've invested. Again, maybe hard to hear, but whatever your kids are giving back to you right now, that was what you invested I don't care if they're adults. Well, pastor, no, 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 no. Think about how you raise them at home, not how you raise them here. I was part of this church since 95 into 96. I know what was taught here. My question is, what are you doing at home? How did you treat them at home? What did you study with them at home? What did you pray with them at home? How did you love on them at home? How did you scream at them at home? How did you sit down and listen to them at home? How did you always correct them at home? All right. The American church is shriveling, and it's the parents' fault. And if, if I'm convicting older parents, that's great. Don't sit there and, and wrestle against me. Figure out how you can repent to your child. You might actually win them back if you'd finally admit I was wrong. Instead of like doubling down on your stupid and you're mean, and your pride, just say, you know what, I, was, I wish I could do it all over again. That might what be, be the soft word that breaks your prodigal's heart. If you could actually just humble yourself and say, I was not the best father. I wasn't the best mother. 
I, I got consumed there going after my second degree, and I just neglected you for three years, sweetie. Please forgive me. The degree, I just I wish I could have those time with you. That might win them back. You don't know unless you're just this belligerent, prideful, still can't do no wrong. <laughs> it isn't, I was watching a comedian the other night. I like him a lot. He said his wife said, you never listen to me. And he said, I hear that. <laughs> I hear that part every time. And he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. After 17 years of marriage, you mean to tell me you bat a thousand and I bat Ofer? Some of you parents, you think that. You think you've been perfect and flawless with your children. And you're not. Nobody is. I'll get into that uh, humility next. Parenting takes selflessness, which means we put death to hobbies. We put death to our time. Our kids become everything we invest in because if you don't invest in them while they're young, they grow up to be big problems that just continue to bite you in the rear end their entire adult life. And then they have grandkids, and those kids bite you in the rear end. And then those kids go to jail or prison or who knows where, God forbid. So you're going to have to invest at some point. And the Bible teaches us that kids ought to be this legacy that bring us grandchildren back and bless us in our old age. And they have to be children. We should raise them so that they're not children. We have to make an excuse for or, or uh, wink at or cover up or the child we don't invite anymore. They have to be God-pleasing. So that brings us to the third point, humility. Godly parenting requires humility. Humility goes a long way with everybody, beginning with the cops all the way down to your children. Parenting results in mistakes. Every parent has failed something. You and I must be able to repent and apologize to our children as often as needed. And it may be they're grown and you still need to go back and repent. At least be humble enough to realize I went through a dark six months and I treated everybody in my household like trash. If you've never repented for it, why wouldn't you? What's holding you back? Everybody's moved on. At least go clear the air. At least practice humility. You might even get some glory in your life you didn't know you were lacking because you've been pridefully defending and justifying that six month of banshee baby or whatever you were, caveman. Yeah. Even if they're grown, recognizing what you should have done better is okay to talk about. One of my one of the men on my board of directors is Dr. or Pastor Luffman. I guess he is a doctor. Pastor Luffman. And the thing that so ingratiated me to him was the first time we hung out. He's much older than me. Took me under his wing. We went to a Preds game. We met at Qdoba's first there near Vanderbilt. We ordered our burritos and he said, "I'm going to tell you everything I've ever done wrong pastoring so you don't have to follow in my footsteps." And I thought in that moment, I need you on my board of directors because I need to know this stuff. Because in that season, I was praying every day, Lord, I need 50 years of ministry wisdom, and I need it yesterday. And here was a man who had been pastoring 35 years at the time, 
And he was willing to tell me everything I'd ever done, he'd ever done wrong. And that's what the next hour conversation was about. Don't ever do this. Don't ever do that. Don't ever do this. Don't. I, I still keep doing it, but don't do it because it always bites me. Don't do it. But I do it. But I wouldn't have you do it. And he just began to invest all of it into me. I don't know why we as parents wouldn't go back in retrospect and share with our grown children. This is where I failed with you. This is where I failed with your father or your mother. This is where I failed with your siblings. Why would you not have that conversation if it would help them? Are we that prideful that we can't even own up to what everybody could see in our life at the time? Our kids certainly lived through it. You're not going to rehash it. They're already in therapy. You might get them out of therapy quicker. (laughs) The biggest thing that all children need in both parents is time and attention. And if you rob them of that, anything they become will be your fault. If you rob your children of the time they can only get from you and the attention they only can get from you, you have no promise of a prospered child. You have no promise of a stable child. You have no promise of a disciple in Christ. And whatever they become will rest solely at your feet. And this is what we have to wrap our minds around as men who are dads now. And this is what mamas have to do is make sure without being a nag or a dripping Chinese water torture of a wife, you have to remind your husbands, your children need your time. Your children need your attention. Your children need your time. My wife taught a year or two ago about one of the wife's greatest jobs is to keep her husband connected to the children. That's one of your jobs. And if she's nagging you, man, it's because you're incompetent and you're not listening the first 15 times. She shouldn't have to tell you more than once. You're supposed to love these kids and want to spend time with them. If you don't spend time with them, something, something, something will So when it comes to time, let's talk about time for a minute. The biggest thing all of our children need from us is time and attention. When it comes to time, you have to have some to give some. So why don't we have time? You got to figure that out. Where's all of our time going? What do you you and I need to do to make time to give to our kids? I think the irony of it is if our child was diagnosed with cancer, we would instantly, miraculously, overnight, overhaul our life to save theirs. We'd change jobs. We'd downsize homes. We'd move in with grandma. Whatever it took to get them the help they needed to ensure their future prosperity. But we don't see these other things working in their life as spiritual cancers, societal cancers, and therefore we're not willing to make the major changes and eliminate hobbies, friends, even unruly jobs to make time for our kids. I guarantee what your kids want more than money is you. What they want more than toys is you. What they want more than anything else is you. I asked Lydia today, because this has been heavy on my heart, 
and she's old enough to tell me, I asked, sweetie, do you think you can bring everything to us? Well, I, have to, I was making her do the dishes this morning, so she's doing dishes. I'm just watching her, being a good dad, training her, get soap on that. Do you think you can bring everything to me, sweetie? She said, I think so. So this afternoon I asked her, would you rather have a fancy present from me or time with me? She said, depends on the present. <laughs> but she said it with this real sly grin. And she said, I'd rather have time with you, Daddy. I said, there's nothing I could buy you? She said, well, I already have everything I want. I'd rather spend time with you. So then I was asking, what do you like to do with me? What's your favorite thing to do with me? I want to make sure we're doing it. If it what is it going to take to give your kids time? Because time's the one thing we can't buy. Time's the one thing we can't go back and get more of. Time is the one commodity we all have equally. And we're all spending it differently. You guys know how I feel about smart devices, but this is destroying our homes. And we're all convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt we can't function without it. And I'm not against it as a tool. But when it comes to this, most of you are the tool. And it's using you. And you've got to be able to restrain this, myself included. My fasts are always something media because I get sucked in. Some of you... <laughs> If we were to ask your kids to give me an impersonation of your dad. Give me the impersonation of your mom. <laughs> That's some of you. And you're going to lose your kids. You're going to lose your kids. You're going to lose your kids. Now, the dangerous thing is they're being brought up here, so they don't know anything but this. So this is their comfort zone. So they're going to sneak because they're not finding what they need from, quote, God's people. But they will find it from pagan people, and they'll begin to slowly invest their heart over there without fully detaching here because this is all they know, except this is not giving them what they need. Because they were brought to the house of God, but made to feel unworthy in their own home. Your, your kids, if you don't raise them right, they will grow up to hate everything you treasure. And they will spit on it, curse it, and cuss it to try to get at you. I, I, don't, I was telling somebody this story the other day. I don't know where I saw it. I don't know how I saw it. I think it was like daughter gets revenge on her daddy. I thought, what's this about? I don't remember how I clicked on it. And it was a quick little video. This girl texts her daddy a video. She said, hey, dad, I just had sex with four men at once. How's that? Just to hurt her dad. She didn't want to do that. She wanted to hurt her dad. What will you do to make time for your children? Can you put down the phone, the video game, the remote, the book, the tool, the fishing pole to make time for your kids? Your kids and my kids can tell when we're not interested in them. Our children can tell when something else lightens up our life. 
Our kids can tell when something else rejoices our heart other than them. And they'll slowly begin to hate us. You can tell them with your mouth, oh, I love you, you're my princess, you're my little man. But when all your attention is somewhere else and you're excited about that, and you just go, in a minute, 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 in a minute. Eventually that heart grows up to hate and despise. And then all you got to do is send them a little familiar spirit or a little friend who has one who sees how we as men ruin our home and they'll play that. You're not wanted. You're not daddy's little girl. You're the weird one in the house. You're just different. You're just different. And nowadays when the mind starts saying you're just different, the transgender spirit comes along. And all you have to do is let them hook onto one website, one Reddit form that says, why do I feel different? Top search, maybe you're trans. How do we get trans kids in church? Bad dads. Now, as soon as I preach this, some of us will be convicted and we'll do the CCF two weeks of penitence. And we'll be depressed and we'll be sorry and we'll walk softly for two weeks and we'll buy a little bit of reprieve. And once our life has a little bit of pressure off us, we'll go back to our shiftless, lazy, selfish, middle-class, good-for-nothing Christianity. And we'll lose our kids. And I can't fix it. Because it's not about bringing your kids to church. It's about raising them in your home. And you raise them. All I can do is enforce or reinforce what you're supposed to believe and be teaching. But our kids aren't stupid. Our youth share stuff with Luke and Melissa because they can't share it with you. And that doesn't happen overnight. That lack of trust doesn't fall apart overnight. One person, one lady told me, my dad enjoyed being around the guys so much, I often wondered if being a boy would have made him love me and want to be around me. This, this woman now, she said, when I was a little girl, I could tell he came alive when he was around the guys. That made me wonder, I wish I had been born a boy. And I actually heard the same statement out of a transgender man's mouth. I became a man because my dad liked guys better. Just wanted my dad's love. Only have as many kids as you can give time to. If there's no time, don't have any. If you have no time, you don't have time for kids. Just keep gaming the rest of your existence away. Or memeing it, or scrolling it, or Facebooking it. <laughs> we ought to be giving our children time, discipling them, playing with them, teaching our children new things, doing our children's favorite things, listening to their stories. I have some here. Listening to their stories, listening to their fears, listening to their hurts, listening to their anger, listening to their jealousy. And I coined a new term today. I call it quit being a friggin' fly swatter of a parent. 
Because that's what some of you do to your kids. You're so spastic. You're so emotionally unstable. Your kids are just doing their normal thing, and then you come in and scream at them. They've landed on the same thing a hundred times before, and it's been all right, and now all of a sudden, you're going to yell at them, scream at them, or beat the crap out of them over it? You're inconsistent. You're unstable. You don't walk with God. Your kids will learn by your response. Can't talk to that nut job. Why would I ever? It's a fly swatter parent. No consistency in what's acceptable in your home. Depends on your fickle emotions and your instability. So they tiptoe through life because they never know when they're going to get it. They never know when they're going to be screamed at. They never going to know, know when mom's going to flip a switch and go ballistic or when dad's going to come home and just yell at everybody. So they never know where's the safe space because it sure isn't home. So then they begin to say at 13, I can't wait to get out of here. I've heard it in our youth group. I can't wait to get 18 so I can get out of here. All they're looking for is peace and acceptance. And we're the born-again ones. We're the spirit-filled ones. We're supposed to have the fruit of love, then joy, then peace. And we can't even give this to the kids we say we wanted and believed God for. So you got to make time to listen to them and let them puke all over you and just say, yeah, okay, well, why do you feel that way? Daddy, sometimes I just want to punch you in the face. Okay, I get it. Why? You don't scream at them for that. They're bearing their heart. You yell at them. You correct them constantly. They're going to say, note to self, don't share that. Don't share nothing. Just be a good little kid. Don't catch any flight. Just be a good little kid. Don't catch any flight. Just be a good little kid. Just go to your room. Just retreat. I'm just going to retreat. That way I don't have to worry about anything. I just, I just want to retreat. And then what goes and ministers to them while they're tucked away in their room? And you let them do that. No fly swatter parenting. Listen to them without criticism when they need to talk. If you're always pounding on them and always pounding on them, you'll get compliance, but you'll also get hatred. Screaming at them like a, some unsurreal woman who just can't get her junk together. Why would you take that dysfunction out on your kids? They will become your worst creation. Your child comes pre-programmed by God to trust you. Don't break that setting. Only a selfish, ignorant fool would do so. They come pre-programmed to bring you everything, and they do until they learn not to trust you anymore. They're pre-programmed to say, look at this, Daddy. Look at this, Mommy. What this? What that? What that mean? What that mean? Look at this. Hold me. Can I touch that? Everything is brought to you, 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 until you just... And that's your parenting style. And you wonder why your kids are demonized and sleeping around. It's your fault. It's your fault. Screaming at them, yelling at them. I don't blame them. I wouldn't want to go home either. 
sure wouldn't want to talk to you. So I'm going to find somebody at the cafeteria who won't criticize me, who will just listen to me. I was helping one of our young people several years ago who was sleeping around, a lot of different guys. And I said, sweetie, she was nervous to come talk to me. I said, I don't, I'm not mad at you. I'm not going to yell at you. I honestly don't care what you've done. I just want to know, why, why this boy? And she said, well, I said, this, was, this is what my understanding was. Yeah, he was this, this, this. Why were you drawn to him? Well, he just listened to me. Okay. Well, after that boy, we had this boy. Totally different guy. Like, totally different spectrum politically and all that. What was the deal there? He didn't judge me. We didn't agree on everything politically, but he just listened, and he was interested in what I had to say. I said, okay. And then there was this guy, yeah? And he was kind of different than all the others. What was his deal? I liked talking to him, and he liked talking to me, and he just listened to me. And I thought, man, this is so easy to fix, but too late. Because mom and dad would not listen. Mom and dad yelled and screamed and judged and chewed out and rebuked and yelled and screamed and chewed. And, and so what they end up doing is looking for attention and love and acceptance from people who were pagan and worldly rather than the people who claim they love them more than life itself. And so even though this girl was conservative and she was sleeping with a couple progressive guys, they at least were open to listening. I mean, you think she'd give up her flower because a guy would listen. So how do you break your child's trust and run them off? I'm glad you asked. I have eight ways. How do you break that God-ordained, pre-programmed child who comes out of the womb looking up at mama, nursing. I've never had the experience because I'm not trans. But I've seen it in my wife's eyes to see the baby nursing. And once they get older, they just look up at mama the whole time. And mama looks down at them. And there's a, it's, it's called latching for more than one reason. How do you go and destroy that? Because it takes a lot to break God's pre-programmed you got to really want to do it or just be an imbecile and selfish. Number one, always be too busy for your children. Always be too busy for them. Always say later, later, later. Always say, I'm sorry, I can't do it right now. Always. I know there's a balance. I don't care about the other side of the ditch right now. We're trying to save children. This is why I say you may have to quit a job because there's no money worth losing your children to what the world now has to offer. It's one thing to what the 80s had to offer. We could recover from what the 80s was giving us. What the world, what Cookful has to offer now, you'll never get your kids back from. Never. So no job's worth it. No six figures is worth it. Not at all. Live in a small home, drive a beater of a car, and get your kids into heaven. Always be too busy for them. They'll learn to quit asking. What's the point? Daddy's always too busy. 
it might be good if your kids are old enough to comprehend the question, say, do you think daddy's too busy for you? Do you think you can bring me everything? Do you like playing with me? It ought to, it ought to be important to you what your kids think. It really shouldn't matter much to you what your coworkers think. Number two, never include your kids in what you're doing because you're always doing your thing. Just simply never include them in what you're doing and they'll learn to trust somebody else. But kids are designed to go with you everywhere you go that they can. Before COVID, I liked taking Liddy to the hospital to pray with people. She was old enough then and now the others are, but COVID kind of ruins that. Because I'm mindful I want to keep her with me. I want to keep all my kids with me, even if it means I have to do stuff they want to do because they're not really interested in what I want to do. It's just different. I want them with me. Amanda takes them with her everywhere when she does her things. I'm not, we're not really interested in leaving them at home. I want them to be with me. Now, we need our time away from them. Don't get me wrong. But if you're always doing something without them, they're going to learn that you don't really want them around. And part of the difficulty of, a, of a being a parent of young kids is they want to help with everything, and you have to capture that and bottle it and find them something they can do with you, even if they can't be that super helpful. <laughs> Lydia helped me install the big aluminum skid plate you guys got me for my Christmas under my truck. She said, Daddy, I'll help you. I said, sweet, I don't know. She said, I'll help you. So she did. She got under there with me. We unbolted the old skid plate. We got the new one almost completely up together. It was heavy. We had to get Mama in there. But Lydia almost helped me completely. She just wants to be with me. So why not make room for her under the truck to put on a skid plate? She wanted to do it. I didn't ask her to. She was almost offended. She said, I'm not sure you can. I can help you, Daddy. I'll hold it up. Now nah, I'm too busy. Number three, give them gifts instead of your time. You can't redeem lost time with a gift. They don't want it. They got a trunk full of them. They'd rather have you. They'd rather have you. They'll begin to hate gifts because it means you're not going to spend any time with them. Kids read through this stuff real quick, real fast. I'm mindful and I'm thankful that our kids are still younger. There will come a time when they will no longer say, hold me. There'll come a time when they'll no longer be able to be rocked. There'll come a time when they'll no longer say, can you read me a story? And you have to enjoy all of that now because that's that attachment God has put in them. Give them gifts instead of your time and they'll learn to no longer trust you. Number four, always only correct and never encourage. That's kind of what I call the seagull parent who simply comes in from work, squawks all over everything, squawk, 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 defecates all over everything else, and then goes to their room or their couch or their if you're a man, you probably have a chair you retreat to to practice your uselessness. <laughs> Nobody else is allowed to sit in it but you. 
And it's pretty shiftless. And everybody knows they can't touch it because you've already yelled at them. I'd call that chair cursed. I'd, if I was mama frustrated, I'd burn it in the front yard tonight. <laughs> I'd just torch it. It's a burnt offering for the Lord. We're saving this family. Tell your daddy you can sit on the couch with the rest of us and pretend like he's part of our family. Always only correct, never encourage. So if that's all you ever do is correct, 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 and you never encourage, there's going to be a problem. You got to do more than correct. If everything out of your mouth is correction, if it's a seagull, and then you fly off. Nobody wants to be around that. You'll condition them like Pavlov's dog that when you're coming or your car pulls in, they're going to tense up. Because what have I done wrong now? What have I done wrong now? What am I going to get yelled at now? Used to when you came home, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. They didn't change. You did. So something happens. They're no longer excited to see you come home. I think that's a pretty good measure because we all have experienced that those of us with older kids, that when they were two and three or one, two, three, four, five, we'd come home. They were so excited to see us. Daddy, daddy, daddy. And at some point they quit saying that because they're no longer excited to see us because we're just going to chew them out, yell at them. Is this done? Is this done? Have you done this? And we don't even greet them with love, a hug, a kiss. We just greet them with our angst and our frustration and our carnality. You're going to turn them off to you. So they're not going to greet you when you come home. They're going to stay in their room chatting with people who affirm them and encourage them and love on them. And you don't know who those people are because you don't have time. What ends up happening is between like 10 and 18, most kids get discipled by their peers. And that's demonic. <laughs> Even in our church here, I have to tell Lydia, who'd you hear that from? So-and-so. They are your age. They know less than you. Quit listening to them. Why would you not even bounce that off of your mother and I? That's just dumb. Is it, Daddy? It is. Like, stop listening to them. You're just making this stuff up. And it's all done playfully, but they know, okay. Because I know some of your kids do what my kids tell me. That they, and my kids have reputations that you know as well. But there's one or two kids, they just make up stuff. So Lydia comes home like Wikipedia, but it's not Wikipedia. It's your Kidopedia. <laughs> and it's Fakeopedia. Like, <laughs> stop. Always correcting and never encouraging will turn their heart against you. Number five, be a fly swatter parent, showing a little consistency, consistency in what is a punishable offense. It's like that fly at your barbecue. It's landed on 75 things, and now you go for it. And when you're always yelling about this or yelling about that, but not today, but sometimes tomorrow, and then that the kid's going to begin to think, it's not what I'm doing, it's just me. They just don't want me. Because it isn't sitting on the couch with my feet up. It's not dishes, because I don't always get disciplined for that. I think it's just me. I think they just don't want me at the barbecue. That's ruthless. It's emotional abuse. It's emotional abuse. It's psychological mind games. And it's a reflection of a dysfunctional individual. Number six, criticize and make fun of what's important to them. 
criticize and make fun of what's important to them. That's dumb. That's stupid. Why would you like that? What you really want is what daddy did. You want to play football like daddy played. No, I don't. Football's dumb. I want to try soccer, dad. Why would you want to do that? Just criticize and make fun of what's important to them. Why would you do that? Why not ask, okay, what, how do you know about that? I didn't even know you knew what rugby was. Well, I heard about it on Daniel Tiger. Well, let's watch some rugby together. Why would that turn into a default? I mean, what, were you bullied? Were you, were you so bullied you got to take it out on your six-year-old? Right? I mean, your mother might have treated you weird, but that doesn't mean you have to be a hateful woman. Did you enjoy it when your mother scolded you and locked you in the closet and screamed at you because she was emotionally and half demonized? Then why give that to the kids? Why not ask your kids, okay, why do you like that? I didn't know you were interested in that. Why not find a common ground? Why not try to figure out what God's doing in their life, that they're drawn to this sport and not that sport, and this instrument and not that instrument, and they're more of a nurturer and not so aggressive, or they're aggressive, and why not... Instead of trying to make them what you think they need to be, why not figure out what's naturally developing out of their pure heart? It doesn't mean it doesn't need to be pruned, but instead of squishing it instantly because it doesn't fit your mold, why not grow with it a little bit and see what it becomes? Number seven, fail to keep your word and your promises to them regularly. Fail to keep your word or your promises to them and do so regularly. We all drop our promise from time to time, and I I do love it when my kids remind me, Daddy, you said. And there have been times I've had to do something late at night because I gave my word. Other times I have to say, you have to excuse me. It's 11 o'clock. It ain't happening tonight. Daddy, you Lady likes to do rope work in the backyard. Daddy, you said we go climb rope. Sweetie, it's raining, and it's 1030. We're not getting the gear out. I'm not climbing out there. Well, you said, I did, and you're going to have to let it go because we can't do it. We'll do it Saturday if it's clear and nothing else comes up because <laughs> I think we have soccer games and then two birthday parties because our church just keeps making babies and we get invited to all these parties. <laughs> but if you consistently fail to keep your word and break your promises, they'll quit asking, and your word will mean nothing to them, and they'll just say, whatever. Dad said, no, doesn't, they'll start teaching the young kids. You'll learn you can't trust Dad. Ah, uh, but Daddy said that. Yet. Listen, you don't get it. I've been here longer. They don't keep their words. Hate to break it to you. And now your children are sharing the propaganda, which is accurate. And the five-year-old learns to distrust you sooner than the 14-year-old. And what will happen? Number eight, the eighth way you can break your child's trust in you and run them off. Never take time to listen to them. Tell them, shut up, go to bed. Shut up, doesn't matter. Shut up, get over it. Suck it up, get over it. Never take time to listen to them and they will stop bringing you things. They'll find somebody else because they have to talk. They're human beings. They're they're creatures of communication. And the devil will always have somebody. It'll be a church friend at first, and then they'll be handed off to the next. If they're public schooled, that's an even greater debacle. If they're on social media, that's three debacles removed. 
but they will eventually find someone who will listen to them with a compassionate ear at first and then suck them in. Why would you not take the time to listen to their hurt, their griefs? We allow our children to even complain against us. We allow our children to complain against you guys because we have to help them process their emotions. We have to help them interpret what they're seeing. We have to explain to them the complexity of culture. We don't let our children say, oh my gosh. I say it. I preach it. Oh my gosh. Dr. Barclay will preach, oh my God. And my kids will know, how come we can't say, oh my G-O-S-H, but Dr. Barclay will say, oh my God. I said, what's an expression of it? Well, we don't get to say it. You're right, we don't, because you're a child. And his heart isn't saying it like it's a dirty word. He's saying, oh my God, what's wrong? And you say, oh my gosh, and you don't understand why it's a complex thing in our culture. We don't tell them to shut up, quit asking questions. You're a child. Who are you to ask? Just follow me. No, I wouldn't want them to follow you. We let them voice everything so they can learn the nuances and ask us questions, and you learn how their little brains think. We're not perfect at any of it. But I'm learning that (laughs) I have Lydia bring me new words she learns, and they're always cuss words. And it's adorable to hear her repeat the word without courage because she's not sure if she's pronouncing it right. So she'll say, you know, this word. I don't know. Which word are you talking about? She'll like, can I say it? Yeah, I want to know if you know what I'm talking about. Or what, if you know what she'll say, huh? and I get to giggling because it's like, it's not how I'm used to hearing the word used because it's usually used with confidence and force and hate. And she's like, eh? And I, yep. What does that mean, Daddy? Well, it's a funny thing you should ask that. We don't beat her, yell at her, scream at her. We just say, all right, we don't use that word. It's a neutral word that's become evil. And, and Anyway, you have to let your kids vent, throw up, voice, complain, and you don't crush them for it. Even if it's late at night, unless you just know for sure it's a gimmick to not go to bed, <laughs> let them talk to you. Don't tell them to suck it up if you haven't first listened to what they're dealing with. Some of us are old-timers. We're old Southerners. We're hard-nosed. I mean, we want our children to be the Bessie mule to plow. Just suck it up and pull. Well, they're six. They need some encouragement. They need to comprehend. They, you don't need them to... This is not the greatest generation. We're not going off to war in five years. Not that I know of. Who knows? <laughs> they need guidance, so you have to let them bring anything to you. Everything to you. One of my pastor friends, and I wrote it in our curriculum, Wisdom from Spirit-Filled Parents, he said, my wife and I never freaked out in front of our children no matter what they brought to us. They could say, Dad, I just made out with the boy. All right, why? What, what, what inspired that? Dad, I saw two people having sex. I didn't realize that's what it looked like. Where did you see them having sex? Didn't freak out, didn't scream, didn't start just beating them, just... Tell me, we've got to play damage control here, and you can't damage control screaming at everybody, shooting the wounded. Where do we learn this kind of Neanderthalic behavior? Screaming fixes nothing. I add this, trust loss, especially during childhood, is very difficult to ever regain. 
Adults understand the nuances of culture. We understand we might be betrayed in a moment. It didn't mean much. I get it. Bad day. He was under political pressure. Whatever. Not with children. To our kids, we're the fourth and fifth members of the Godhead. There is a God because we say so. There is no Santa because we say so. This is good because we say so. We're going to be home on time because we say so. And you start undermining some of these things, your kids will be so squirrely they won't know who to trust because you sure can't trust mom and dad. If you can't trust them to be home on time, you can't trust them to bring home chicken, you can't trust them to watch a movie, can we trust them about God? Trust is of the heart, and the above behaviors chisel, crumble, and harden a child's heart. Trust is of the heart, and it's almost like one of those default heart settings that it came from the factory designed to trust. It's one of the few things you have to teach. It's just there. Think about how much consistent, consistently bad parenting has to go on to ruin a heavenly default setting. Dropping the oar once won't do it, thank God. Yelling once won't do it, thank God. Spanking too hard once won't do it, thank God. But you consistently do it in all their formative years, you'll do it. And they'll, what they become will be a testimony to your failed parenting. I add this, yelling and screaming is the absolute worst form of parenting. Pastor Caleb, was it stressful when those DIs yelled at you the whole time, trying to do everything, calling you names? It's probably still not woke enough to call you sunshine and butterfly and princess, but even if they did, it's probably hate-filled. So I'm sure it was stressful. They're in your ear right there, and they're just telling you to do the same thing, and you're having trouble, and you're an adult, college-educated man in the United States Army with the DI screaming at you. Stressful. I've never been in that situation. I can only imagine. Watch the movies. You think, I'm stressed out. It's a movie. And we want to do that to a seven-year-old? You ought to be horse-whipped. You ought to be beat with a rubber hose. And I know you can control it because you don't act that way here. Because you would be horse-whipped. One of our half-saved brothers would probably just clear you, clean your clock in the hallway, and just lay you out. And then say, I'm sorry, I'm still just getting saved. I don't know why. <laughs> he just felt like he had that coming. She just, she just needed to be shut up. Well, we thank you for your service. <laughs> Yelling and screaming is the absolute worst form of parenting. It's stressful for adults to be screamed at. Imagine its effect on developing children. Uh, it grieves me to even think about it. I would hope to God all of our children in here could say, my parents have never screamed. I understand a yell, get out of the road, or out the backyard. Don't push your brother like that. But screaming in a house, when you get irritated because you can hear your spouse chew food, there's no permission 
there's no terms or conditions where it's ever acceptable to scream like a demonized wretch at your children or your mate. Except that you lack self-control, you lack peace, you lack joy, you lack love. I would even wonder, are you born again? Tongues does not prove salvation to me anymore. We've had folks demonized pray in tongues in this altar. But you can't even manifest the basic fruit of the Spirit towards your children? Are you even saved? What is wrong with you? Would you let me treat them that way? Would you let a total stranger talk to your children that way? So then why would you? No self-control. So Ephesians 6. Here's our second and only verse tonight. Verse 4 out of the New Living Translation. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. That's all you really have to know. Do not provoke them to a lasting bitterness. Uh, I think the Amplified or one of the other translations points out, basically don't make it impossible to please you. That's that fly swatter. No, 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 no. There's no rhyme or reason. It, sometimes our kids think we're playing whack-a-mole. And all that really proves is that you're an unstable human being. We're not against discipline. Just be consistent. Mama doesn't want you bringing your muddy shoes in. You do it again, I'm going to spank you. That's simple rules. But now you get screamed at because you cleared your throat too loud. But last week you had a cough and there was no screaming. That is, that is psychological abuse coming from a broken parent. And if any of you treat your kid that way, you need serious prayer. You need deliverance. You need discipleship. And first and foremost, you need to repent to your kids for being that way. We don't understand what sits at the doors of our homes waiting for us to fail our kids. Dr. Barclay teaches the devil's convinced we have kids for him. It's a strong doctrine of his. He teaches it from time to time. The devil's convinced when we have kids, they're for the devil. And we have to affirm and dedicate those babies. That's why we dedicate. Nope, this child is for God. And we covenant to raise it with every day of our life till they leave our home, they will be soldiers of the cross. That's why we do baby dedication because other than that, it's just assumed it's demon dedication. So you don't understand what's out there trying to get into your homes to grab our children where we drop the ball. Do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. It should not be impossible to please mom and dad. Should not be impossible to please mama. Should not be impossible to please daddy. House rules should be pretty easily understood. I'm sure you got to make some from time to time when the kids get older and find new ways to break stuff. You always expand rules. But it shouldn't be impossible. It shouldn't be this fly swatting, shifting standard. Because what the limp saying is, it's not what I do, it's just me. And the devil will say, you're right, you're just different. And I have people over here that love different people. You just, yeah, haven't you noticed you just don't ever fit in? They've always treated you different. You're the strange child. That's ministered to a lot of our kids. 
a demon opened, the door was opened by mom and dad's parenting. I do not doubt our love for our kids. I doubt our ability and our aptitude to demonstrate it. And so only God can help us do this right. The church is shrinking because of parenting. The Southern Baptists, which used to be one of the stalwart denominations in our nation, they even testify they, have an, they lose over 80% of their young people. Over 80% of Southern Baptists denounce the faith when they go to college. That's a, that's a common statistic. They publish it. They're not ashamed of it. I'm sure they're ashamed of it, but they're not ashamed to share it because they recognize they have a problem. What happened at home? What, what fell through the cracks? We send the kids off to college and they deny their faith? You had them for 18 years and one semester of philosophy and English lit did it? What were you doing for 18 years? Yelling at them, screaming at them, banshee crying at them, putting them down, criticizing them, and then never telling them you're sorry for acting like such a retard? That's how you lose a kid. As long as they can bring stuff to you, that's what you want. That's worth more than anything. And I've taught this church for 12 years now since we learned it from Dr. Barclay. You pray, Father, may my children bring us everything. May they hide nothing from us. May they bring everything to us. May they give us their heart. You can pray that, and then if you treat them like trash, prayers are worthless. Amen. So we're a young church, lots of babies, over 100 kids on that side of the wall over there. It's a lot of children. I would like to see 100% retention in the kingdom. Amen. Let's keep our faith on that because we don't have that. And it isn't for lack of teaching. It isn't for lack of children's programs. Dragging them to church doesn't do it. Raising them at home. That's what sets them up. Amen. All right, somber message. No way to end it. Happy, fun. Huh? I got nothing for you. I'm trying to think if I got any funny stories from my household. We did have to make a new rule for Bud because we were not getting up early enough for him. The kid gets up at 6 a.m. without an alarm clock. We had to tell him, don't come out of your room till we get up. So he sits in there and plays G.I. Joe for an hour quietly because that was another rule. Then when he hears any noise, he started helping himself. He'd climb up on the kitchen counter. He'd open the cabinets, get the toaster down. Then he'd walk over and on the counter like the feral kid from Mad Max, <laughs> get the bagels. And then he'd put them in. He'd get them turn around open up the other counter. And we used to keep the plates at the very top. He'd stand up, get the plate down because the bagel goes on the plate. At first, he was using the Michael Jackson cooking glove to get the bagels out because they're too hot for his hands, but he didn't like that because it didn't work. So then he learned how to get the, the ice tongs. So he gets his bagels out with ice tongs. <laughs> Does all this on the counter without ever getting down and just squats in his underwear, third world squat. <laughs> I have a lot of pictures of it. And he has since advanced to getting the stool, getting the freezer, getting the sausage patties down, getting a plate putting it in the microwave, hitting it three times for a minute and a half. Kids five makes his own breakfast 
Only thing he can't handle is the milk because it's too heavy and he knows he spills it. So we had to start making rules. Son, okay, you can't stand on the counter. You're going to fall. So we set rules. But I'm not going to shut him down. The kid's, he's showing initiative in this socialized culture of welfare. I'm not shutting that down. I give him another six weeks, he's going to be making my breakfast. <laughs> Don't stop initiative, man. Why would you shut that harness? It? That's why you have kids, so you can do less. Yeah. And at this age, they love doing it for you. Can you go get this for me? Yes, Daddy. Praise the Lord, because I don't want to get up. <laughs> Until they realize, wait a minute. I don't want to do this either. Go do it. I'm your dad. <laughs> Let's bow our heads here. We ought to pray. This is a serious subject. Father, we need your help. Some of us are hurting our children. We don't mean to. We've been taught better. We just forget who we are when we get home. We, teach, we treat our children like whipping boys and slaves. Father, help us to love our kids. Help us to repent to them when we're wrong. Help us, Lord, to recognize when we've done things in the heat of a moment, we've spoken too harsh, we've spanked too hard, that we acted hastily and sinned with our feet. May we never be too big to repent to our children. And may our children know they can trust us because we'll always bring it back and make it right when we've been wrong. Father, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us for the way we've raised our kids and dropped the ball and screamed at them like some pagan, yelled at them like some banshee demon, yelled at our spouse, acted the fool. Father, we love our children. You know that. We just don't know how to sometimes. Help us to repent in our heart. Help us to repent in our actions. Father, we need your help. Help these parents. Help our young generation not make these mistakes. Help them catch themselves before it's too late. May we learn to judge ourselves to see how we were raised where this might already be coming out of us and we can put a kibosh on it. Stop it. Father, we're thankful for the, the durability of our kids, the resilience of our children. May we be able to repent and earn some time back and earn their trust back. May we be willing to make whatever massive, major, significant sacrifices necessary to redeem our children and ensure their spiritual health. May they not hate us. May they not hate our God. May they not hate our church. May they not hate our Bible. May they not hate our doctrine. May they not take out our poor parenting on that which is true and right and holy. We pray for our prodigals. May parents judge themselves and see where they had a part to play in the prodigality. And may they repent for it with genuineness and sincerity. Father, we ask you to help us.